you have your Bibles, take them to Romans uh, chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5. And look at verse number 6. We'll read down through verse number 11. But I want to talk to you this morning about this subject, the unspeakable gift. The unspeakable gift. Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 6. The Apostle Paul in chapter 5 is really laying out the grace of God found in the cross of Jesus Christ and what God, Jesus Christ has done for us in the cross. And we see in verse number 6, it begins to tell us, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement, the unspeakable gift. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You. We thank You uh, for our Lord Jesus God, we thank you for your goodness. Whether we sing this song or not, our lives are crowned with your goodness. You follow hard after us with goodness and mercy. And so, Father, I pray that you would show us that goodness. Show us that unspeakable, dumbfounding, confounding gift of, of love that you have given us in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would center our hearts about the great gift of God and His Son. And God, you would bring us near the cross. Have Jesus evidently crucified before our eyes. Let us see what our redemption's price was. And let us feast on it at this table. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. The phrase, the unspeakable gift, is not in our text. It's actually found in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number 9 at the very end of the chapter. The Apostle Paul in that chapter had been speaking to the people of Corinth of their generosity and how their generosity has been a help and benefit to those that were living, those, those uh, oppressed and persecuted Christians there in Jerusalem. You remember how he was taking up offerings for that. And he begins to to tell them about how that that, uh, that is, is evident in the gospel. It's evident of how their generosity is pictured in the gospel. And he ends that chapter, thank God for His unspeakable gift. And I began to read certain commentaries and there are those that would, that would seem to suggest that this unspeakable gift is is their gift of generosity. Is that the Corinthian church, their, their, 
generous gift it just kept him silent it, it's un, unspeakable and, and how that Christ working in them to make such generosity that's the unspeakable gift but it is in that pa- passage of scripture he talks about God thank God for his unspeakable gift not theirs Adam Clark, the Bible commentator, makes it clear that what is being spoken of here is the unspeakable gift of God's love in the person of Jesus Christ. Like we sung a moment ago, I love that phrase in that song, there's no more that heaven could give outside of Jesus. Nothing else compares or is equal to such a profound and Truly unspeakable gift. The Apostle Paul here in Romans chapter number 5 is doing just that. He is, he is extolling the uh, and, and commenting on the unbelievable gift of God. That love of God. Have you ever, maybe, it was this is not so much in our era, era but when I was younger and maybe even in the late 70s early 80s there was a there was a kind of a push an evangelistic push about God loves you. you you've seen bumper stickers that say smile God loves you ever seen a, a big a t-shirts that say smile God loves you it it is uh, been so repeated so often down through the years that people have almost become uh, numb to it they've lost the effect of of, of, of realizing God's love. I'll, I'll never forget a, uh, a witness encounter in which I was speaking to a, a young man uh, about the love of God. And uh, I was telling him, you know, God loves you. And, and he, he repeated my words and rolling his eyes and bobbing his head, I know, I know God loves me. And it's almost as though that, that sense of God's love on humanity has been lost over, over its repeated uh, speaking or directing that, that sometimes we, we lose sight of what that really, really means. It seems as though people are numb to the truth of God's love and they are so unless we are stopped and we are jolted into seeing God's love afresh. That's what we all need. I believe that's what the church of the living God needs to see new and afresh, the love of God. Richard Baxter attempted to do this and and to to jolt his congregants into realizing afresh and anew the love of God. Listen to what he wrote. Is it a small thing in your eyes to be loved by God? To be the son, the spouse, the love, the delight of the king of glory? Christian, believe this and think about it. You will be eternally embraced in the arms of the love which was from everlasting and will extend to everlasting. Of the love which brought the son of God's love from heaven to earth from earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, and from the grave to glory. That love which was weary, hungry, trampled, scorned, scourged, buffeted, spat upon, crucified, pierced, which fasted, prayed, taught, healed, wept, 
sweated, died, and bled and died. That love will eternally embrace you. Oh, as the songwriter so eloquently put it, Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and the angels' song. What's even more amazing than God's love is the object upon which God's love rests. God's love is amazing enough, but to see what God's love rests upon is even more unfathomable. It rests upon sinful, rebellious, wicked men, women, boys, and girls. Those whose souls and spirits are powerless to enjoy fellowship with God because of our depraved and sinful condition. This unspeakable gift, the gift of God in Jesus Christ, it interrupts our condition of lostness, our hopeless estate. God, when, when it says in Romans 5, 8, but God, when we were powerless, but God, when we had no hope, but God, when no one would die for us, when no one would do a thing for us, but God, God interrupts our helpless estate and He does so to give us his love. Every one of us in this room are in or have been in a helpless and sinful condition. A condition which would ensure us a guilty verdict before a holy God of judgment. But this God of judgment is also a God of mercy. A God of boundless love and compassion for which He has set upon mankind. And, with, and offers us an unspeakable gift of escape, of His judgment. A gift that births us into His family. That brings us nigh unto Him as much, as close as His own dear Son. It brings us to Him. And then we find out about that love and that unspeakable gift in this passage of Scripture. So I want to pull this apart and look at it under three headings. The first of this, when we look at the, the unspeakable gift of God's love in Jesus Christ, first of all, I want you to see the sight of God's love. The sight of God's love. Many people say, seeing is believing, right? Unless you believe it, unless you see it, you, you, you don't believe it. Uh, and nowadays, the way... The way these deep fakes are made and stuff is done on the internet, even seeing sometimes can be deceiving. But oftentimes we say seeing is believing. Well, what the Apostle Paul does in verses 6 through 8 is he gives us a, a visual image of what the love of God looks like. Notice what we see in the sight of God. We see, first of all, an unrestricted love. Look at this. For when we were yet without strength. In due time Christ died for the ungodly. Look at what he said. Christ died for the ungodly. Every person that is a son of Adam born naturally in this world is ungodly. The direct opposite of godly. 
Every one of them are outside of God's love, outside, no, not outside of God's love, outside of God's redeeming grace. Every human being born on this planet is ungodly without God's intervention of His love and grace. And here, he, he tells us that when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. There is, seems to be no restriction, no boundaries, no people for which God's love is not extended. That doesn't violate, listen, to, to, to understand that there are no restrictions to God's boundless love does not contradict His sovereign will, His purposes within Himself. There are no people for which God's love is not extended. Look for this, the, the penman, the Apostle Paul here in this letter. If we were to look at his life and go all the way back to Saul of Tarsus, we would realize that this man was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. Remember Philippians, how he talked, if anybody could boast it was me. A Pharisee of the Pharisees, without blameless, he was spotless according uh, to the law uh, with, before the eyes of men. He, from our vantage point, the Apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus is the upper echelon of righteousness. If, anybody, if anybody's close to God and if anybody's acceptable to God, it would have been Saul of Tarsus. And even more so after he was born again, Paul who, 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 who took the gospel to the known world, who planted church after church after church, who God used to write the scriptures, who God used to think on the deep things and explain the deep things of the gospel. Surely he's at the upper echelon of everything. Look at the words in verse number 6. For when we, we, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. The Apostle Paul, who's at the heights of spiritual uh, position, may well have even seen visions into the third heaven, the presence of God. He comes down and sits right next to you. When we were without strength, when we were powerless to commend ourselves to God, when we were ungodly, the direct opposite of God, Yet in that condition, in God's love, God offered up His Son in due time. That means the right time. That means the precise time. Not too early, not too late, but in the right time, Christ died for all of us who were undeserving, ungodly, completely opposite of God. When we were in that condition, God offered up His Son for all. All. He offered up His Son for all. It is an unrestricted love. Notice also, it is an unrivaled love. Look at 7 and 8. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Notice this. These wording here. What Paul is doing is putting 
before us an example, an illustration of the contrast between God's love and our, our normal love. The love that we might have as human beings. You know, every day around the life of the President of the United States in his public, in his public uh, wanderings and in, the, in his, his exposure in the public to his, his meetings with other officials to even his private home. There are constantly men that surround him who are trained and committed to giving their life if need be to preserve his. It's called the Secret Service. You've seen those guys, they talk into their hand and they have ear things and they got dark sunglasses and they're always looking around. They're no-nonsense kind of guys. They're committed. They are absolutely committed to throwing their bodies in front of a bullet meant for someone that is not their father, not their, not their father, uh, not their grandfather, not their cousin, not related to them, throw themselves in front of a bullet. Now, in verse number 7, it says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. I think a good illustration of that would be that familial love. You know, when it comes right down to it, there are some that would not give their life maybe for their spouse or even their, their children. But, but there might be those, I like to think I'm one of those, that if it came down to my life or hers, that I would, I would lay down my life for her, my wife, Carrie. I would lay down my life for my son, my grandson, my daughter. I would lay down, I like to think that if it come right down to it, that I would take a bullet for my children, my grandchildren, or my, or my family. I would, I would lay down my life for that. So we can kind of understand that it's a familial connection that would, that would cause that kind of love. Someone with a deep connection to someone else. Or, like the President's Secret Service, someone that are deeply committed to a service. They are so committed they will give their life for it. Or a soldier, like my son Evan, who, you know, when it came right down to it, he, he would give his life for his country. He would, he would do what it takes to be a good soldier. But, no one does this. When you, if you go down to the back alleys in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and you go rummaging around the back alleys and you kick over the bottles and you find the homeless man on the street of Chattanooga, you will not find the secret service men standing guard to protect the life of that drunk or that crackhead in that back house or the back alley. You will not find those that, are, uh, that will give their lives for someone else in that kind of condition. But that is exactly what Paul is describing that God did for us. It is an unrivaled love. You see, God, God showed His love in verse number 8. It says, uh, contrary to verse number 7, but God commendeth His love toward us. That word commendeth there is a word. It's not, it does not mean that God 
recommends something. He recommends Jesus. Jesus is not a recommendation. He's the command. He's the gospel command. What is God saying here? The word commendeth here is a word that means to put on full display. I've had it pictured this way and I think it, it really does it well. If you were selling diamonds and, and you wanted to display those diamonds in such a way as to make them attractive so that people would see their brilliance and their beauty, you would not display them on a white piece of paper, would you? No, no, you wouldn't. What you would do is you would buy a piece of the blackest velvet you can find and you would put the most shining lights upon them and then you would spread those diamonds out on that black velvet. Because what it does is it puts it in a beautiful setting. It puts it on full display. The character of the diamond, the beauty of the diamond, it shows the full contrast. That's what Paul is saying. God put on full display His love for us in that Christ died for us. The cross is God's display of the unspeakable gift of His love for us. We who rightly deserved God's wrath, God's judgment, the eternal fires, we who were lawbreakers and rebels against God, God in, in complete contradiction to that shows His great love in sending His Son to the cross. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 9, 13, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Christ died for sinners. That's His love. The sight of God's love is the cross. But notice also, the substance of God's love. The substance of God's love. The substance of God's love comes to not the act we see on the cross, but the person of Jesus. The body. The person of Jesus is the substance of God's love. You see, when we talk about God's love, we could point to the act of the cross as, as the unspeakable gift, but we could also lay our hands upon the body of Jesus, He is the expression of God's love for us. Notice the life of His dear Son. Verse number 9, much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. We stand guilty before the law. The Old Testament is replete with its judgment upon us, whosoever not, does not do all of that which is written in the book of the law to do them, he's a curse. Cursed is every man that doeth not all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. I think it's in Deuteronomy and Jeremiah. It's repeated. The law condemns. The soul that sinneth, Ezekiel 18, 8, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. God's judgment is rich and full and furious to those that refuse, uh, that, that, that break His law. So we stand guilty, separated from God, in, a li in line awaiting to receive the eternal punishment for our sins. But the perfect life of Christ was given for us, offered up, and on behalf 
of us on the cross of Calvary. The life of His Son. The body of Jesus. Jesus was no ethereal, ghostly being. He was a body. A body conceived in the womb of Mary, born in this world to hunger and thirst and to know the experience of humanity. Jesus was a body given for us. And on the, on this, uh, along this topic, Dr. John Phillips, one of my favorite authors, writes this. Speaking of Jesus on the cross, those iron bolts of Rome in the pierced hand of the crucified Christ could well have become thunderbolts of wrath. He could have hurled His anathemas across a guilty world, summoned from the ramparts of heaven twelve shining legions with drawn and flaming swords and marched to Armageddon then and there. Instead, yon lovely man cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Christ died for the ungodly. This is the sign sealed deliverance of the love of God the body of God's dear son pierced, crucified, breathing his life upon the cross the life of his son given for us but also the life of his son given to us look at verse 10 for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. His life is imparted to us. Of course, you know the story, the Easter story that, that we live week in and week out. Jesus Christ not only was crucified and died a horrid death on the cross, but that same Christ was buried in a borrowed tomb and on the three days since on that third day, that first resurrection, first day of the week, Jesus rose alive again bodily, physically from that tomb. And after being seen by the multitude of witnesses, He bodily, physically ascended into the heavens and remains there alive to this day. We are not only saved by His death, but we are saved by His life. His ever-continuing life. John Phillips goes on and says, If God's love, reached for, God's love reached us before when we were in our sins, how much more now when we are vitally linked with His Son, our union with Him guarantees a continuing salvation and an ultimate arrival in glory. Christ giving His life for us saves us from the penalty of sin. Christ giving His life to us saves us from the power of sin and one day save us from the presence of sin. Christ's life in us. Christ in us. The hope of glory, the Apostle Paul says. Christ in us. We are vitally linked now. And because He lives, I shall live also our living head alive in glory it is that substance in heaven that shows to me the love of God in Christ Jesus the life to us he imparts his life to us when we put our faith and trust in him last of all we not only see the substance of God's love 
the sight of God's love, but I want you to see, last of all, the share of God's love. Look at verse number 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The share of God's love. Psalm 103, verse number 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. You see, verse number 11 seems to be, to me, the benefits of the love of God. First of all, we see a reason for rejoicing. He said, and not only so, not only do we have life in God through Jesus Christ, not only have God's love given for us on the cross and given to us living in heaven, a vital link between us two, but now we joy in God. There is joy in Jesus. Those that receive the love of God in Christ Jesus discover a source of joy that will never run dry. The sinner which has yet to receive God's love in Christ, he fears death. He hates the restrictions of God. He hates the demands of God for our life. He finds no pleasure in vowing to what he considers such a controlling and all-powerful being. But those whose eyes have looked upon the cross, those who have embraced God's love in His Son, Jesus Christ, those who lift their eyes to heaven where Jesus is interceding mercifully for us condemned sinners, we rejoice in the wondrous plan of God's salvation. We rejoice that in this small respite of time, of pain and suffering, of lack and want, it is not to be compared with the eternal finality of our destiny in Christ Jesus. It's not to be compared what joy in Jesus that we have. What joy, no matter what takes and overcomes us endless life. There is joy, joy in Jesus. Joy in Him. We own an unwavering joy in the fact that our many sins and the demands of the judgment of God's law which followed them have all been redeemed and met at the foot of the cross. Jesus is our reason for rejoicing. A reason to have joy day in and day out. The finality of what God has done for us in Him, on the cross, in the empty tomb, is reason to rejoice. That's why every time that we start to talk about the resurrection, and we start to talk about the cross, we are filled with joy. Joy for what He has done for us in His dear Son. A reason for rejoicing. A reception of reconciliation. The last part of verse number 11. By whom... We have now received the atonement. Atonement. It's, it's one word that can be really broken apart to reveal its meaning. It's a theological term, but I think it's one we can get our hands around. Atonement. You break it down. At one mint. It's the state of living at one with God. 
It means the action by which two opposing parties are now in an agreement. Through the love of God expressed in the crucifixion of His Son and the resurrection, we have at one with God. Before I met Christ, I was at odds of God with God. Through my wicked works, I was meeting God on the battlefield of eternity with numbers so insignificant I could never prevail. It would be a slaughter. But God and I are constantly at odds with each other because of my sin. That was B.C. But now, A.D., I am at one with God by Christ Jesus. He is the daysman. He is the one that reconciles the books. He makes it all together. He is the one that takes the hand of sinful man and the hand of holy God and brings them together at one. At one moment, I can pillow my head at night knowing that whatever may befall me in the dark hour of my slumber will not deter me from facing and being greeted by the embrace of a divine God in the person of Jesus Christ. Nothing will deter, Paul said, not height nor depth nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviors live at peace with God. Colossians 1.20 tells us that God has made peace by the blood of His cross. Reconciliation. At one minute, we now have atonement in Jesus. The Raymond Edmund wrote this to close. We can love our own and also the good and the gracious. But God loves the ungodly, the worst of sinners, the most bitter of blasphemers. Our part is to accept that love in His Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. God loves sinners. I don't know how much more plain to say it. God loves sinners and He sent His Son to die for sinners and all those that will embrace Him will know the love of God in Christ Jesus. The message of the Gospel is to come and receive the unspeakable gift. No language can tell it. No song can express it. No, no, uh, no statue can display it. It's the unspeakable gift. It can't it can't be fathomed. It'll never be fathomed in all of eternity. God's unspeakable gift. And it's here for you. It's here for me. If you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I beg you, come. Come and know Him today. Let's stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Through these verses, I, I pray that God has brought us near the cross as we come to the table and and if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, then I beg, you, I beg you to repent and believe the gospel. Come, know Him in saving faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we Lord, we love You. I thank You for the Lord Jesus. I thank You for all 
that He's done for us. Thank You for what You've done for us in Your Son, the Lord Jesus, sending Him to the cross, burying, taking our sins into death, being risen alive again from the grave. Father, thank You for this unfathomable, unspeakable gift. Father, I pray that we would embrace it once again. Give us fresh eyes for Calvary to see what You've done for us. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.